less stress, more time, more money. Welcome to the Cash Flow Contractor interview. Martin, do you remember when we used to make sounds on Zencaster for different segments? Sound? Oh, yeah. You, we hit your little buttons. That's the one I was thinking of. I'm I glad we don't that do that. Like nine months at least. It's been a while. Uh, I'm sure everybody's missing it. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure everyone's missing it. What if there, Martin? What if there was a sound um, for every time? you could potentially get sued for something as a contractor. Like there, it just went off like that. How well, that reminds me of a joke by Mitch Hedberg. He said, if fish could scream, the ocean would be loud. So if there were a sound for every time you could get sued, it would be loud. It would be loud. Well, uh, Hey, we've got a special, um, special guest who knows all about the issues that subcontractors run into and how many times that sound would go off. Um, Carolyn, thanks for, for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm yeah. excited to talk about all the dangerous things. All the dangerous things. I, I hate to be Debbie Downer all the time, man. No, it's all right. I mean, <laughs> sometimes we need that person to be able to point or raise the flag and be like, hey, you need to fix that. Hey, this is an issue. Um, and I, I, don't, I think contractors think about this, but I don't think they're aware of how big of a deal it is. Um, so... I, I agree. There's things like when you're a leader and a visionary, there's so many exciting things to do, like the next project. Here's our next goal. Let's yay. Yeah. But then there's a part of being that visionary that has to do the responsible part, which is, okay, where are my liabilities and how can I fix them? So if something does happen, I'm protected as I can possibly be. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's an interesting thing because for most contractors, it's not the first thing that comes to mind. I think, uh, especially for subs that are just doing work for GCs, mm -hmm. I think they think that the legal's built in because the GC has them sign a contract. And I think in That's their mind, they're like, oh, like this covers me, you know, but what's the reality there? It's, it's actually probably going to screw you over in some ways. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I have never seen a more one-sided document as the one between the, mm. between a general contractor and a sub. Um, and I think, I think you're right. I think a lot of subs just think, Hey, you know, there can't be anything bad in there. You know, there's a set of rules that protect me and, and there's not, there's not a set of rules. It's, it's made, it's written in a way you, you can't understand it on purpose because there's so many bad things in there. Right. So the first thing to do is just understand what's in there. Right. And yeah. then you can evaluate the risk because the way they're written, you can't even understand what's in there, what you're supposed to do because it's buried in this legalese. I mean, it takes me forever to decipher it. it it doesn't have to be that way. I think there are two other reasons they don't do it. And one is they're scared to stand up to the GC. That's not always true. And the other is a perception of cost. Like, well, it'll cost me thousands yeah. if I start bringing attorneys in here. So I'll just go with it and hope it works out. Well, and, and so I, I see that. I'm, I'm so familiar with having these conversations with my contractors. I've come up with a flat fee. So, and you could build it into your bid, right? So Zero to 15 pages on a subcontract is 550 bucks. Uh, I think it's 15 to 30 is 1,050. After that, it's hourly. But I will take the contract and I will tell you what it means. And you're, the, the GC never has to know I'm there. 
I'm just going to give you the language to you to to modify to add if you want to. Mm. But the main thing is is that we're clear about what you're supposed to do. Like I'm going to tell you, this is what this means. You got you know you need to have this insurance. You need to have this daily report. You know what I'm saying pull all that out. Let's and then and then you as a business person can evaluate the risk. You know here's the paid one page laws. Here's some ideas on how to deal with that. But if you don't know and you're going in blind, almost every time you're going to fail. Yeah. Every time. I mean, I've how to, bad is it going to be? Yeah. I've talked to GCs that they know whether a sub is professional or not, whether they should really keep them around if they look at their contract and actually read it and they come back and say, hey, I want to change this because yeah. they know I would never sign that document as a sub. <laughs> like, I would not yeah. put myself in that situation. So if you're just going to sign it, I might have to double check if I'm going to work with you long term or not. So exactly. And I think that's true, right? I think that's yeah. true across the board. You know, everybody's so afraid of pushing back. And that's really how these contracts have gotten so one sided for years. The subs mm -hmm. have just signed it and never pushed back. But then yeah. nobody's having the conversation about, no, this is not right. You know, don't be wrong. There is risk in construction. There's risk in working on credit. But don't push it all downhill. Let's yeah. split some of that risk, like the pay when paid clause. The sub does not get paid unless the GC gets paid. I mean, mm. what the hell? I mean, let's split that. Let's. There's ways to negotiate that. But putting yeah. all the risk of non-payment on the sub who is actually extending credit, you know, paying yeah. his guys, paying for material, he they are financing the job. There's got to be some give and take here. I, let's run through some of these clauses because I'm not. I mean, I'm going to be aware of them, but I'm not going to know them as much as you do. So, pay one, pay one. That's a really, that's a good one. What are some other clauses that you see in some of these contracts? Okay, so what are some of the other things that uh, one of the big ones that I don't think anybody understands is like in the first two pages of a subcontract, there's going to be something that lists that says here are the contract documents, right? And it's not just a subcontract. One of them. I've, I've never seen a subcontract that doesn't do this. And it, it incorporates means it makes you responsible for the contract between the owner and the general, which is the prime contract. Okay. You've never seen this contract. You have no idea what it says and you're just agreeing to the terms of it. Right. And it doesn't even say you can get a copy. <laughs> and so, I mean, it just, how can you expect it to be, bound by a contract you've never seen and reviewed. And so like at Subcontractor Institute for free, I have some language in there that say, hey, either take this out or at least give me a copy of it mm -hmm. because I can't be held responsible to a document I've never seen. And honestly, what it is, it's lazy lawyering. The lawyer is afraid that they missed something. So they took from that one and put it in the and put it in the subcontract. Just to cover like, hey, let's just cover everything. Just in case I forgot something, there's a catch all. Well, for my clarity, what you're saying is the subcontractor agrees to be responsible for the contract, the general contractor signed with the customer. Correct. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Correct. And there's some terms in there. There might be delay damages in there that aren't in the subcontract, or there might, you know, there might be some other things. I, I've seen it used, which I think this is a stretch, where the sub gets the change order approved by the GC per their contract. Something happens to the GC, they go out of business, the sub files the lien, right? tries to get paid and the owner's like, Hey, no, you're under my contract and under my contract, I have to sign the change orders. And since you didn't have me sign it, <laughs> you can't get paid. And, and just all these creative ideas that can be come up with. And here's the thing is like, you guys gotta understand, I don't ever see a good project. I just see how these contracts can be used against you if something goes wrong. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and you're about the people of, 
Yeah, I mean, that's the problem is a lot of these guys go off of this handshake and they like, he's a great guy. I know his family. You know, we've been buddies forever. You know, he's a buddy of my buddy. They wouldn't screw me over. Uh, but at the end of the day, you do need someone that's going to back away from the relationship, from the emotional side of this. And that's just going to look at the facts. That's going to look at the logic in the contract and say, hey, you're not covered here. This is all the risk that you're taking on. And this means that, yeah, maybe you have a good relationship with your buddy, but what are all these people you hired that you have relationships that are on your team? What about their families whenever you go out of business because you signed a bad contract? I mean, the, the impacts are tremendous in this situation. That's what people don't really think through. Uh, so it's really important to go through that. What are some other clauses that you see? Okay, so the, another one kind of on that uh, on that same tune is every subcontract has you know a list of defaults and then a termination clause. And so what a default is, just so you know, is anything that you're supposed to do under the contract that you don't do, right? So if you're mm -hmm. supposed to do daily reports and you don't, or if you know if you don't have the correct insurance and you don't, if you don't sign the correct lien waiver and you don't, any of those little things are all defaults. And when okay. somebody sends you an email saying, hey, I didn't get this lien waiver or hey, I didn't get a daily report, that is a notice of default. So a notice of default doesn't have to come from a lawyer. It can be very informal, like an email. And don't get me wrong, when you're going throughout the project, that's going to happen. That's fine. But what they can hang their hat on is if you don't cure it, if you don't fix it, then you can be terminated, right? Mm -hmm. And what? And here's a big misconception that's out there is that when you're terminated, all you're going to lose is the money that they owe you. That is not the truth. If you walk away from a job, you lose the money that they owe you. And if it costs them more to replace your scope than what you agreed to do, you're on the hook for that difference because you promised to do this work for X dollars and you didn't. And so now they've been damaged and they can come after you for those damages. And actually most of the subcontracts are the damages plus the contractor, the GC has a 15% administrative fee for having to, to replace you on top of that. So it's never just, you can't just walk the job and, and, and think that you're done. So you, and, so like an example of this playing out is, you know, daily reports are required. Um, busy day, whatever happens, I don't get the daily report in. Does that mean I'm essentially, def I default and can be terminated right there and then have all these expenses? Is that an you example? Could. You, you could, they can use that as an excuse, right? Right. Um, uh, generally, when they're going to give you a notice of default like that, so there's two ways to, to be terminated. You don't cure default, right? Uh, but defaults in a contract, like if you're in default, you didn't turn in a daily report. What that could be used for is I don't have to pay you because you're in default under the contract, right? Uh, that's when it's more used uh, yeah. in the contract. But the other thing that's in most subcontracts is the general contractor has the right to terminate you for no reason or any reason at all. That's called a termination for convenience clause. Now, you as the sub don't have that same right, but they can. Interesting. And so that's another. And so even if they wrongfully terminate you because they didn't give you a chance to cure your default, they can just say, I terminated you for convenience. Another place that is used is if they find somebody else cheaper to do the work before you get started, they'll just terminate you for convenience. Even if you already have startup costs, you know, mobilization costs. Yeah. You're toast. You don't get any of that back. So. Man. So people are just signing these. They're just like, oh, yeah, it looks good. You know, oh, and here's the other thing, too. I kind of skipped over this, but your bid, your bid is a legal offer that can be accepted. And I actually had a client come in the other day that had bid something late in 19 it was glass work. Didn't actually because it was paused, didn't actually get started. 
until sometime in 20. And his scope of work had increased so much he didn't sign the subcontract, right? He didn't want to do it. They found another subcontractor to do his scope for $150,000 more. But he didn't put any limitations on his bid, like if cost of material go up or this bid expires in 30 days. And they, he actually signed a piece of paper that said, you know, I, I, I understand that the GC is relying on this bid and it's true and accurate. And so now they're suing him for that $150,000 difference. What? He didn't even sign the subcontract. Oh my goodness. Is so, I mean, it starts, all, it starts all the way back at the bid. And then, you know, the other thing is, is that whatever you bid is not what you're hired to do in a subcontract. The scope is what you're hired to do. And the bid does not become any part of the agreement between you. So make sure that the scope attached to the subcontract is what you, what you put in your bid or what you agreed to do. Don't just gotcha. assume that the two are the same because 90% of the cases, they've changed just a little bit between the time that you did the bid and the actual plans for the project that are now the scope. And so uh, that's another one that people take, take for granted. So what's something, I, I, what I'd love to do is, I love this, uh, this storytelling that you can do where it's like the tale of two. And so let's, I would love to go through this process of like, let's tell, let's tell the tale of two subcontractors one that decides to start out with a good lawyer and good contracts, employee handbooks, you know, all the, all the different legal documents, good bids, scope of work, all that kind of stuff. And someone who's reviewing contracts for them. And then the subcontractor that doesn't, you know, what are the issues that they really run into? So, you know, let's start with the one that doesn't use any of this stuff, who doesn't take legal serious, who is the handshake guy. What are some of the issues that you most commonly see? We've gone through some of these clauses that they run into, mm -hmm. But what are some of the things that you, you typically see when you're when you, they eventually come to you? Well, oh, the handshakes are always the worst deal. And here and here's the thing. They think that the smaller the project, it doesn't need a contract, right? Those are the ones that actually need a contract. And, and here's why, right? Especially if we're if you're the contractor and you're working with like a homeowner or something uh, and who has no idea how construction works, yep. they have an expectation in their mind of what you're going to do, how fast it's going to go, all of these things. And you have an expectation that I promise you is completely different than theirs. And what that contract does is it says, no, here's the group expectation. And it really gives the owner something. Okay, here's what I can expect. My, my misconceptions, because I knew nothing about the industry, have now been corrected. And, and here's, where, here's where I can go. And I know, what, I know what's going to happen. Right? It's got the schedule. It's got all the things in there. And if you don't, what happens is very fastly they get pissed off. I cannot tell you how many pissed off homeowners that I talk to and they either don't have a contract, the contractor doesn't answer their phone calls. And the main thing is just communication, right? And if you don't communicate, it's we're talking bad reviews, lawsuits, all the things. And here's the thing is if you get sued and you don't have a contract, you might as well just pay them whatever they're asking because it's <laughs> going to be cheaper. It's going to be yeah, cheaper than not cheap. Yeah, exactly. Then, then paying me to try to figure out – to prove to somebody what the agreement was if it's not in writing. We did, a, uh, we did an episode last week, which we call onboarding customers in uh, positioning document, expectation documents. Uh, maybe there's a, an issue with this, but the way I've used to do it and a lot of my clients do it is you have your contract over here. And what, what I tell people is, uh, me included, a lot of times people think a contract doesn't say what it says because it all refers to the first party and the second party and the back and the fourth subject to parent. So what, okay, I understand lawyers could dig into that. We have another document that just outlines expectations. 
and it's not the contract, but it just says delays. A one day rain delay doesn't mean that we start the next day because we went to another job. You have to make selections by this time. Is, is you see any danger in that? There's no danger in that, but they shouldn't have to be two different things, right? Like my contract for, especially in that situation is written in plain English. So it's got, it's got you covered legally, but at the same time, it's got all those things incorporated because those things are just as important, right? I don't see any problem with doing it as an exhibit, but it shouldn't, there's no reason that a contract you're going to sign to be bound by, you shouldn't understand what's in it. There's, there's no, there's nothing that, that I have to say in a way that you can't understand it to protect you legally. It's just, the two things are not mutually exclusive, right? They can, you can have both. So do you think, and a good lawyer can do that for you. That's, that's you really that, a good point because that's not the way most of them are, as you no, know. I know, I know. Yeah. <laughs> it's not at all. Do you think that people are um, making, like, is it the attorney that's making the language that way? Or do you feel like it's the contractor that wants the language to be that way? It's more on the attorney side? I, I think it's more on the attorney side. I'm just, the, that's the way we were taught. We, and, and most of it is appearance, right? Right? You're going to and you're going to pay me some absorbent amount of money to write this contract. You want it to be, you, you want to think that, that it's, it's bulletproof. And I'm here to tell you, I can make it bulletproof and it, you can understand it. And, and, and I only, you know, I think, I think, I think the legal system has done bad in the way they train people to think that the legal profession has got to be the man behind the curtain, right? Like the wizard of Oz, like yeah. it's gotta be something you don't understand. It doesn't have to be, you know, I'm here as a counselor to help you run a business, better business on, to let you know what the pitfalls are. But if I can't, if I can't explain that to you in a way that you can understand, I'm not doing my job. Right. So much of my job is, is a counselor, not as a lawyer. Right. I want to help you figure this out. And, and don't be wrong. It takes some time to go through this stuff and, and make sure, you know, I've run, I my, I have, like I said, I have a flat fee contract, 1500 bucks. I ran it through my marketing department so they can understand it because they're not lawyers, right? And if they can understand it, I know everybody can. I mean, you know. I'm just wondering when you give a, a small contractor these changes to make or things to be aware of, and he or she has to go talk to the general contractor who we're gonna presume is more sophisticated. That's not always true, but we're gonna presume that. How they do it, how they fare when they do that, what kind of pushback the general say, hey, you want to work, sign a damn contract. Or what, or do, are they malleable? Will, will they change? It, it all depends, right? I've seen some contractors say, no, it is what it is, sign it. And then, and I've seen other contractors work with you, right? It, it all depends. Um, I think a reasonable contractor, if you come with them with options, it's not just, no, I'm not going to sign this. Here are some other options that are middle ground. I think you have a way better chance at getting it done. But if they say no, then you got to evaluate your risk. Is it worth it to you to take this risk or let somebody else take the risk? And knowing that, if it goes wrong and falls down, depending on the amount of the size of the contract, it could be a huge impact, a huge impact. Um, like I said, there's tons of projects that go off and don't have any problems, but it's, it's what happens when one goes wrong because an, an attorney gets this contract and on a, it's just a heyday, right? Um, what, you know, you, you might as well just, whatever, <laughs> just, just give them whatever they want because, if you haven't modified the contract to protect yourself, it, it doesn't really matter what you say or what you do. What, you know, we're talking about this kind of tale of two in some ways that, that contractor that just goes ahead and, you know, handshakes with the customer, 
doesn't really set the expectations. What are they actually going to pay in litigation fees? You, I know you said you might as well just pay the customer whatever they want. What's like a realistic expectation with litigation fees? What does that look like? I know there's an hourly fee. How many hours is going into this? What's the potential? Well, I mean, to go to trial, even on a small case, on a small case is like $50,000. Okay. You know, the, the discovery process, getting ready for trial. And it's even worse when you don't have a contract because I have to spend so much time finding evidence to prove what the agreement was, right? Mm-hmm. I have got to, I got to do depositions. I got to get all, go, I got to go through all the emails. I got to go through all the texts and I got to form the agree. I got to somehow prove the agreement that you had right. without having it written in one place. And that is so expensive, right? And, and, and even when, if I could, the person's going to say, oh no, they said this, or they said this, this contradiction. And we're in the contract. It clearly says anything you said doesn't matter. It's only what's in writing matters. So it's just an endless, an endless ball of litigation and time and stress. And, um, you know, I just, it's, it's usually not worth it just because now if you got sued, you need to defend yourself and figure out the cheapest way out. But if you're trying to move forward, like you weren't paid and they're saying you did bad work and they're saying you didn't do what you're supposed to do and you don't have a contract out, I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't take it to litigation for you because I mean, you're going to, you're going to run out of money before we get anywhere. And then you're going to hate me. And it's mm-hmm. it just not worth it at the end of the day. Now let's keep with this tale of two, this guy that's, you know, not use the attorney. Let's say that they went to legal zoom and got their contract and they're using that to go into this instance of with the customer. What's the difference between having that document and then, or not having the document? Does that help at all? Or is it worse? Is it, you oh, know, it's, what- it's definitely better to have something, having something written at all that we sign is better than nothing at all. Okay. It's not the problem with legal zoom is that it's not particularly for your business and for what you do. So like you're a roofer and one of the biggest problems you have is that homeowners don't understand when they pull the shingles back, you didn't know that all that sheathing under there is bad. Right. And it's going to cost extra. So most of those contracts aren't going to be set up to let the the customer know that, Hey, this could be an issue and it could cost extra. And so maybe you can't get that extra cost because you don't have it in your contract. So it's still dangerous. It's less dangerous than not having one. So there, you know, it's a, it's a scale of, it's a gray scale, right? From white to black. And you're, you know, just above the white with something like that, which is better than having nothing. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So do something. Yes. But not prefer, yeah. preferably do something even more custom. But Exactly. Uh, and, th- and that's okay. really why having grown up in the trades and knowing the mom and pop shops that are actually out there doing the work, I've really come up with an affordable plan based on them. And I'm not, I'm not trying to do a sales pitch. I really want to help people. And so I've, created these things. And so for a contract, you know, small residential, 1500 bucks, call me, we do an interview. It's specifically for your business. You get it in five days. I mean, why wouldn't you? And you can use it on all your projects. I mean, there's just no, there's not, yeah. there's, it's so I worth mean, the investment. It is. And I think what people fail to realize a lot of the time is they think that it's going to be so expensive. Like that's the stigma is like, I can't talk to an attorney. I don't have money for that. I'm barely making buy right now. Or, you know, I've got, cash flow issues happening, but there's two things. One, the amount of stress that you're going to feel if you don't have these things in place is absurd and it shouldn't be there. It's such an easy thing to get rid of and to not have that stress and to have that peace of mind knowing that you're protected is worth a lot. But two, it's so much more expensive to do it later. Like putting it off is the more expensive thing. 
Like if you're worried about the finances, then do it now because <laughs> you're going to be paying a lot more later on if you don't invest now. Right. So I mean, anybody uh, that's been in the business for any length of time can tell you the war stories. Right. And so, so please listen to them. <laughs> and and yeah. here's the other thing. I think, I think attorneys have a stigma, right? Like the man behind the curtain and we're too expensive and we're just mm -hmm. people too. Right. Yeah. We're just people too. And, 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 and I'm really good at what I do, but you guys are really good at what you do. Right. It's just a difference. We're here to help each other and I can help you. And if, you know, I know that, you know, the trades is a great way to make a living. It's an honorable place to be. And, and it shouldn't, you know, it should be protected. And that comes with a contracts and story about a contractor who bid a job, did the job. The general came back and said, you didn't finish it. They said, well, yeah, we did. They did everything that was shown there. But what they didn't do was they were, they were responsible for the work that was drawn or could be reasonably inferred from what was drawn. That's so stupid. And what, and anyway, the bottom line was they went and did the work and reasonably inferred means, well, that's a toilet. So you got to have pipes. Well, the pipes got to go somewhere. So the pipes got to go through the wall and down the, you know, and connect sewer. No, I just was doing the building. No. And that's, yeah. If that's you can't a relatively new term that right. I've been, that's a relatively new term that I've been seeing. And, it, and it's usually in the first two pages, reasonably inferred. What that is, is an open checkbook for the general contractor. If they Gosh. missed it somewhere else, reasonably, I, reasonably, I, the GC, reasonably inferred. I mean, what the hell does that even mean? If we have a written contract with the scope, nothing needs to be reasonably inferred. That just, aggra that just aggravates, aggravates me. <laughs> Why would you? Uh, we, Khalil was talking about stories, and there's one where you, where you didn't do it right. Uh, we have another story, uh, Monty Markham, who was one of our uh, guests yeah. here. He, he's about a $13 million landscaping contractor. And one of the things that he says, which is stay in your lane, you know, if you're this big, do that stuff and maybe you can creep out of it, but don't jump up there and get that $30 million bill with the gangsters from New Jersey. Sorry, <laughs> because they're going to eat you up. Well, Monty is pretty sophisticated and they, they got him for $22,000 on a seven figure project, but he's, he's as tough as anybody from New Jersey. But if you're out there and that's your first time and you're awestruck and, and wow, I got this huge job and you, they're going to eat you up. And Absolutely. so it kind of, if you can't afford, well, we have a, uh, an episode, I think we do, it's called mentors, uh, advisors and mentors checklist. And among them are bankers, CPAs, insurance guys, and attorneys and safety experts, but get an attorney. Don't think you can't afford it. Get it. We're hearing real reasonable options here right now mm -hmm. and get started that way before you just get taken to the cleaners and you yeah. start to understand those things. Yeah, you can't talking to our audience. If you're doing it otherwise, you're not doing it right and it's going to get you. Absolutely. I have I have what I call my legal landmine checklist that I kind of go through. And so you the first thing is, notes? yeah, the first thing is, are you incorporated? Right. Let's be incorporated, whatever state it doesn't, the, where you're incorporated or what type of entity is really more of a tax question than a legal question. So what type of entity works best for you is tax. But the thing is you need to be incorporated because why that protects you personally. Yeah. So if there's a, if there's a, if some a default with a contract or something like that, they'll look to the, the business assets only. If you're not incorporated, then it's just you and your house is up 
and your bank account's up and everything you own is up. You're basically, you're personally guaranteeing all the work that you do. So first thing, incorporation. Second thing um, is, do we have employees or subcontractors? This is a very dangerous thing. And I know as smaller guys, especially starting out, you don't want to don't want to talk about this, but you need to get it set up right in the beginning. So I have some great articles on my blog articles at the Chromings Law Firm to tell you the difference, because what you call them doesn't matter. It's what the law calls them. And so if they are truly working for you, they don't work for other people's, they don't have their own company, they are an employee. They are not a contractor. And if they are an employee, you need to pay them correctly. And unless they're a high level employee, they are entitled to overtime. Even if you pay them salary, they still get overtime. And I won't get into, well, maybe a little bit about what can happen if you do that wrong, right? If you do that wrong, it's not just that one. And here's how I usually see it. It's like somebody gets in an injury, they hire an attorney who's a personal injury attorney, and they start asking them questions about their job. And they find out that they work at a construction company who's not paying them overtime. Well, hey, I got this This other side of my law firm does contingency fee for un, for um, lack of overtime claims. And so then the, the business, the small business owner gets sued by that guy for not paying overtime properly. And once you're in that federal lawsuit, what happens is the court lets the other side get your books and records for the last three years and send out letters to everybody who's worked for you and say, hey, did you get paid overtime? If not, you should really join this lawsuit. So very vastly comes from one employee to basically a class action of everybody that potentially worked for you for the previous three years. And so knowing and doing that right on the front end is so hugely important because you can imagine how liability will stack if you don't. So that's the first thing, right? And then you have employee handbooks and safety plans up to date. So that's that because one of the biggest places that these guys get burned besides contract is, is disputes with former employees. And if we don't have these things in place, it can get very expensive. So we need that. All right. So if you actually do have subcontractors, we need a good set of subcontracts that puts forward everything that they're responsible for. And if you're using the same ones over and over again, we have a master subcontract. You sign once and then just get a work order for each one. Again, clearly plain. And it proves that somebody is actually a subcontractor and not an employee. Um, so, and then if you, if you sign other people's contracts, you need a system in place to have those reviewed and know your yeah. tools to be able to negotiate. If you sign, if you are the one having someone sign your contract, you need a clear, easy to understand contract, right? And I'm trying to remember the rest of my list. Employees contract. And then the other thing is how do you see YA? Just knowing how to cover your ass in a general business practice if something does happen, which means keeping all the records or having electronic system to keep all those records so that if you need them, that you have them. And so those CYA. are CYA, which is, you know, like you don't want to have to think about it. That's but yellow in my All crib. of those things are CYA, but specifically keeping documents, especially if a dispute arises, you know, if a dispute arises, the first thing you want to do is timeline all the, all of the events, even if it's just handwritten notes, because you mm -hmm. don't realize how, Time to time distorts what things really happen. So if you have that on the date that it's written, and it's just so helpful, and a bunch of other things. I've got but a question for you because things. documents are so because documents are so important for you guys. I I hate this. I hate working with contractors that are paper, because it is not how the world works now. Like everything is on your phone, and that's the reality. And I think that makes it even 
it increases the risk of you not having that piece of paper, you know? So is that an issue that you run into where things are on paper and then you can't find them? Do you like things in the cloud as an, as an attorney? I mean, I love things like as an attorney and, and it's, a, here's the thing, guys, if you give me 15 boxes and I got to go find something, I charge by the hour. I'll, I'll find it, but how much is it going to cost you? As opposed to everything online, I do a keyword search. There's all the documents that I need. Yeah. I mean, it just saves you times and time and money. And yes, there's always this one document that that's the smoking gun. And if you don't have it, then it doesn't exist, right? Yeah. Um, and and yeah, plus, and what the other side is gonna is gonna put documents at me, like an email where they showed you your where you were in default. I need the other side of that email that says, "Here's how I responded, and here's what happened." If not, it's just mm. one side of the story. Yeah. And if you're not, that's actually, go ahead. That's actually one thing is do other. I'm, this is really bad of me, but I'm thinking of the mo movie My Cousin Vinny, mm -hmm. um, which is one of my favorite movies. But I love that movie. He gets the box of like legal documents from the other attorney, like boxes, uh -huh. and they have to, he has to sort through them. Is that something that you put into contracts with like the GC or something that, hey, when you do send over any legal documents, they need to be digital, not boxes of, you know, other documents that you have to read through? Or no, is that not? Are you allowed to do that, you, I guess? You can, but it doesn't matter. Because when we get to the point of litigation, a lot of it is leverage, right? And a GC knows if they drop 20 boxes of shit on me, you guys can't afford it. Is there is there anything you can do to avoid those boxes? Um, or like, can you say that it's just digital, like it has to be digital rather than them sending over the 20 boxes of legal documents that you have to sit through? I mean, you could try, right? And um, you could you could definitely put that in there. I don't know if a court would enforce it at the end of the day, because here's what they're going to do. They're going to come to the court and say, hey, I have all these documents. I'm ready to produce them. I know this contract says this, but it's unreasonable for me to have to scan this all in. I can just give it to them like this. So it's going to be, uh, don't get me wrong. I, and like I said, part of litigation and the leverage is to make it hard on the other side. So even if even if they give you Two thousand two thousand electric documents that are PDF. I mean, that's still a lot to go through, even electronically. Yeah. Um, and and the For only sure. way to get to know a case well enough to take it to trial is to be familiar with everything. Unfortunately. Man, that's so hard, uh, and that's why I mean, as a as a small contractor or as a subcontractor that's not as big as the GC that maybe has their own legal staff and you've just got your hourly attorney that you're paying, I mean, you are, you don't have the leverage. And so you have to protect yourself from the beginning. Um, exactly. So, That's why it's so important to stay out of those fights if we can. Yeah. You've, you've got this checklist and you've kind of walked through a lot of those things that are important. Uh, for most subcontractors, let's say they have that legal Zoom document that they're using as their contractor, the one they got from their friend in the industry that they tried to change the name of their company to this in the document, whatever. What's the most important thing for them to start with? Um, you know, if they're going to do things right. I would start with um, a contract first for between you and your customers, either start with having your contract written or having somebody review your contracts mm -hmm. as they come in. If you're a subcontractor, I'd start with there first. I'd start with the external things first and then slowly work through the internal things, which are employees, employee handbooks, safety plans, all those right. things. Um, but start with yeah, external agreements. If, yep. If one of those things takes you out, it doesn't really matter what you're doing internally. 
if and uh, absolutely the first priority if you're not incorporated go get incorporated that's absolutely first one sure um just you know, like sure. any business but especially one I'm, in the construction i'd like industry. to just touch on that just a little bit that's a really serious problem i've had so many clients over the years who just two people or maybe three people just got together kind of threw together an idea let's start a business well it's fair we all get a third or we each get a half and then one year, two years, five years, 10 years, something happens, divorce, death, they, you need more money. They're not, um, they don't all have the same amount of money. So the company needs money who puts in what, and they tend to fall apart. Do you, do you have some thoughts on that? I mean, do, is that something that you do also, uh, the corp, the operating agreement people might know them as, um, and what are some of the topics that you see they absolutely must consider in those? Absolutely. I think that's so important because everybody thinks they do it on a handshake or they do it on an email and they just get started and they don't realize how important having those things in place before you get started are, or even at the very beginning. Because as an attorney, if you walk into my office, you're ready to dissolve a partnership that doesn't have a written agreement. It's the wild, wild west. And basically you're going to end up paying a shit ton of money, both of you, to try to, if you can't come up with a dispute on your own. So, you know, who owns what percentage? And it, even if you want to do a 50-50, that's fine, but having there a buyout procedure, right? Here's the thing about partnerships. They're hard. And even if you're best of friends, you, you know, I have a rule. I, I run a law firm and I interview attorneys. And one of the things I tell them in the interviews, I will never have a partner ever. The only partnership that I have in my life is my marriage. And that is hard enough to work. <laughs> I can't imagine trying to, but, and you know, some people are successful at it and they can do it. That's great. But what will help you is a clear set of rules. Again, setting expectations. Here's what's going to happen. If we don't get, don't get along. Here's what's going to happen. If the company needs money, who's responsible for what share, here's what's going to happen. If we decide to sell buy out, you know, who's, you know, who gets to decide, you know, is there a silent partner? Is there a partner who's going to be doing all the work? What does that look like? Let's, let's, do, let's document that. You know, um, I think you, it's, uh, do you generally have suggestions for that? In other words, here's a buy sell agreement that triggers on certain events. Uh, that that's yeah. good that I know I have to do that, but well, gosh, I don't know. How do I do it? I mean, do you yeah, have, we have yeah, standards sure. that like, you know, if you, if you want to buy somebody out, you got to give them 60 days notice and we got to go through an appraisal process and all this other thing. And the, and then the, the, you know, if we want to sell, it's all built in there on the front end. And we'll walk you through what it is. And if you don't like it, we can change it to whatever you want, yeah. right? But at least we have we have a standard set of rules of this, you know, here's how we can get out of this. Here's what happens if we sell it. And we can walk through it and modify it as we need to. You know, here's what happens if somebody's spouse died. Or the, if I died, does my share go to the spouse? You know, those are all things that, you know, hopefully we won't have to deal with, but just in case we do. And, you know, it's not that, it's not, you know, three to $5,000 on the expensive end to get something like that done because you're going to have to have a meeting, go through what everybody wants. So it's not, not affordable, especially if you're going into something as a startup, it's worth the initial investment. I want to make the statement so people hear it because in my experience, when, when you don't have that agreement, the underlying reason is you don't really value your business. You don't really see it. If you're just starting out with a pickup and you throw in with a buddy who's got a skid steer and you start working, oh yeah, you might talk about all these things. But if it's worth $35, 50000000 million, you don't just shake. I mean, that's the fear of not thinking about it and how am I going to pay for it? Those are issues. But the fundamental thing is they really don't believe it has value. 
not much. Once the value shows up, so do the problems. Exactly. And if we don't and, have it planned out how it's going to go, it's a disaster. Yeah. And it's, it's so, so, so sad <laughs> to see it well, happen. And, and here's the thing is, is that your work is personal. Just as personal as your children and your home, yep. if you care about it. And so when things are personal, pride gets involved and it's really hard to settle disputes if you don't have yep. something written. And everybody has all the reasons the other person is wrong. And one of my points to people, and I'm not playing attorney, but I say, let's figure this out because that's your opinion. They're saying the same thing about you. Exactly. And it's also irrelevant. doesn't matter. What's that agreement say? However poorly written, that's mm -hmm. your forward. So exactly, and that's basically, what it is—it's the rules of engagement, right? Yeah. If we're going to get in a fight, here's the rules. Do you here's ever see anybody come in who's already been in business with a poor agreement for a year, maybe two, and come in and say, "Okay, we need to make this a real deal"? Actually, what I had happen—I had a client come in and they had made a deal with a with a woman who was in the electrical business that they're going to be partners. And they're going to start this business. And so my client was out there hustling, getting all these contracts signed and working and whatever. And so he's like, he's like, oh, yeah, it's time to sign this agreement. She's like, what agreement? You guys are employees. If you want to buy the company from me, you can, which I helped him do because he had to. The, the, the verbal agreement was we're partners. What it wow. actually looked like was they were employees. And that's how it was treated because they didn't have agreement to the contrary. And so they were kind of forced to buy the company at her asking price because they had all this work lined up. They had, they, her name was on the, con basically, you know, the, the people they were contracting with knew them, liked them. And if they didn't follow up through on the contracts that were already signed, it was going to be on them. So they had to buy wow. the company. Um, but so, I mean, especially yeah, don't missed, think that, that they won't burn you. That in uh, inequality, I don't want to say inequality, what do you call it? Mismatch. My, my dad used to say, if you marry an elephant, you're going to roll to its side of the bed. Mm -hmm. So if you're going into business with somebody who has attorneys, been around longer, has a lot of money, those kinds of things, and you don't, they very legally can, what people will always say, I got screwed. Well, you didn't get screwed. You agreed to it. <laughs> you married that well, elephant. you didn't agree to it, which is why you got screwed. Yeah. And that's kind of goes back to what Monty Markin said. Stay in your lane. You can grow your way out of it, but stay in your lane. And when, you, when you're going to grow, let's be intentional about it. Let's make a plan. What right. does this look like? Let's talk to people who are already at that level. What do they say? You know what I'm saying? I, uh, I had sold a company to some contractors in Las Vegas who bought a company that wasn't related, but they, they were big boys. They had a lot of money. But this might have happened to some of our listeners. <laughs> I owe you a million bucks. I want all my subs in my office Monday morning for a meeting. You probably know where I'm going with this. Owe you a million dollars. Here's a check for 60,000. Yeah. You can take that and sign this document or we'll see you in court. And half of them walk out with that check for 60,000 and some of them stay in there say, no, we're going to make it. Anyway, they, there are guys who play like that. No, absolutely. And hopefully none of our listeners are dealing with them, but, but that, it's the other benefit of negotiating your contract, because if that is their intent to, this is titled, uh, Stop being getting screwed, I think is the name of this podcast. If that's their intent, well, let's flesh it out right now for the cost of an attorney and go back and find some other work rather than fleshing it out when we owe them and, and exactly. we don't get I mean, paid. If that's their intention, you signing their contracts is just giving them the bullets to shoot you with. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you, awesome. know, you know, 
and 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 here's the other thing is even if you sign a bad contract you could you can still have a lien so knowing your lien rights what's required for your state you can still get paid and okay. if that, that guy you know don't be wrong even if you have a lien and it's been a while you have way more leverage than somebody who doesn't and that gc who was handing out the checks be like hey my claims against the owner i'm going against him if you have a lien right right you got to do it right for your state and then you know yeah. um, a lien is a very powerful thing yeah I, what is fact, the, I'm what is the importance in the the process of a lien like how should liens be handled in your opinion as the sub when should you be doing like the pre-lien you know maybe walk us through that process of how it should be handled correctly versus what it's probably being done right now by a lot of contractors. Well, I, I think what's being done by a lot of contractors right now, they wait till they're starving and then try to figure out how to fix yeah. the problem. Here's the thing is that there are lien laws in all 50 states, but they're all freaking different. And so I can tell you that they all require notices and they all require a lien to be filed at some time. And so here's my advice. Meet with an attorney that knows the laws in your states or subcontractor institutes got them or I can help you. And we set up a collection, a consistent collection process, whatever size company you are, that is the same no matter what. And you can be based on your cash flow because even though a state might not require notice till 90 days after, you can send it early. You can send it more often. And especially you can use lien notices as a way around a pay when paid clause, right? Because if you send a lien notice, a notice that you might file a lien to the owner, they're going to get involved and make sure that you get paid. If that means, hey, the owner hasn't paid the GC, guess what's going to happen? The owner's actually going to pay the GC and everybody gets paid. So using lien notices as a tool to speed up payment. And so it's really based on, let's, it's really based on your cash flow. Personally, if I was at 60 days, if I haven't been paid, I'm sending notices. That's just a good practice. And I think that fits into every, every state's rules. But specifically, you know what your state's rules are and don't let anybody with a promise of payment, push you outside what you need to do to have a valid lien in your state. Yeah. Because I see it happen all the time. You promised to pay, promised to pay, and I didn't file a lien, and now I'm screwed. Because with a lien, you can go, you have a claim against the owner. As where if you don't have a lien, if you're in a sub position, you only have a claim against a general contractor. And if the general contractor goes out of business or files bankruptcy, you're screwed. If you have a lien, you're still secured by the property. So it's so hugely important okay. and it gives great leverage. Yeah. And you can set up processes to where, I mean, I think for some of the subs out there, they're thinking, man, I've got to call on every single job. I've got to call my attorney and ha you know pay him 2000 bucks to file the lien. You can do it yourself. You can set up systems and processes to do it right yourself. Um, a lot of it, make it a lot easier and a lot affordable. Right. Yeah. And actually, you know, because this is such an issue, I offer a, a subscription pricing for liens starting at a thousand bucks, thousand bucks a month. So you just, and you just, and I'm you can your outsourced collection department. You don't get paid at 60 days. I'll make the phone calls. I'll send the letters. And here's the, and here's the thing is that you can say, I'm the bad guy. Your attorney's calling me. I said, well, yeah, she'll probably pay me. She's kind of mean. Yeah. 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 I'm there scared to tell her not to. <laughs> and here's the thing. I don't have to be loud. I don't have to scream. I'm just going to say, Hey, my client's owed money. And here's what's going to happen if he's not paid. And guess yeah. what? You get this, you get the system down. The squeaky wheel gets paid. You're going to get paid over the guy that doesn't have a process. Right. Yep. It's, it's just how it works. What, th there's some, there's some uh, bad things that can happen if you file a lien incorrectly, right? Like, Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's it's talk about that fine. a little bit. What happens if you do it yourself and you do it wrong? 
Uh, I just had a client that had a hundred thousand dollar judgment against him for a lien that he filed incorrectly. And here's the thing is that he came to my office and he lied and he lied about when he did the work. And so I filed the lien believing his lie. And it turned out when we got into this case, he lied about when, which meant his lien was late, which means he tied up this whole property for, you know, six months. And the judge said, nope, not only are you going to lose the $60,000 you're owed, you're going to pay them a hundred G's. So the liability for doing it incorrectly is huge. And there are so many, so many things that need to be. Generally speaking, a lien is a security interest in a piece of property. And another, most liens on property, like a mortgage, you go to the, you know, you go to buy a house, you can't afford to pay cash for it. So you go to the bank and get a mortgage and they take back a lien on the house. So you'll pay them back and you sign off on that. It's a voluntary lien. You agree to it. A lien in this case, the mechanics and materialman's lien is involuntary. The owner doesn't agree to it. In order to have such a strong remedy, you got to follow notices, do it timely. And if you don't, because it's such a strong remedy, the penalties for doing it incorrectly are can be huge and painful. Because you're yeah. interfering with somebody else's rights. Yeah. Yeah, because once you have a lien on that property, they can't get a mortgage. They can't sell it without taking care of that lien. So you're basically you know, you know, incapacitating their things that they can do with their property. And so you have to make sure you do it correctly. And if you don't, it's huge penalties. Yeah, we had a, we had a guest on one time who referred to liens as the superpower and given everything that went has gone so far, all the terms and the contracts and all the things that can, it is something counterbalancing the little guy's rights. I agree. I agree. And big guy's rights too, if, if you're big. Yep. And the thing is just do it correctly. And it's, and it is, it is a superpower because, uh, and like, there's no, there's no other businesses that have that right. Right. Yeah. Um, so hey, there's mechanics, men's material men. And who has the right to do things? Anybody who in, improves the property with their labor or material. Right. So you got to improve and it's, and the, the outline of the rules are a little bit different in every state. But most every state has incorporated landscapers, demolition guys, because like it used to be thought like demolition guys are removing stuff. So it's not really improving, but they've been added by statute generally. And you just know specifically for your state and like there's small variables, right? Like sometimes delivery charges can be included in a lien. Sometimes they can't. It just depends on the state. But the whole theory behind it is that you improve the property so you get to be secured. Uh, and yeah. so as long as you're doing that, but most you can't. You can't lean for like if your contract was for twenty thousand and you only did ten thousand dollars worth of work, you can only lean for that ten thousand, the work that you actually mm-hmm. did. Gotcha. You know, Carolyn, one thing that we haven't talked about is your background and how you got started in this. Because obviously you're super knowledgeable. Uh you're on a mission to get into all fifty states doing all of this work. Um how did you get into supporting the subcontractor and, and, uh, being their attorney. Well, it really started, I didn't realize at this time, but where I grew up, I grew up in rural Illinois with humble beginnings. My dad and his side of the family were farmers. My mom was a waitress. Um, but then my uncles, my grandfather on my mom's side was an excavation contractor and my uncles were irrigation contractors. And so some of my first jobs were with the family business as, you know, the irrigation contractor, you know, and I, I didn't understand it at the time, but I saw, I saw the pain points, right? Making sure you yeah. get paid, having to sign these contracts and how it really affected the family, not only the business, but the family, if, if stuff didn't go right. 
And so, and then I went to law school and in my last year of law school, my husband and I started a material supply company. And so I was really okay. kind of thrown into learning, you know, mechanics and materialman's liens because we had to protect our money as a material supplier. And then from there, it kind of grew, but it's always been home to me because it's where I came from. And I, you know, especially the, the mom and pop shop, the people that I like to say, get shit done. They're out there building things. They're really good at what they do. They need my help and support to make sure that's protected. And so I really take it personally. It's, it's a, it's, a, it's a mission because like if my, my grandfather's excavation company ended up going out of business cause he didn't get paid on a golf course. But if he had known the things that I know now, I could have, I could have saved that company. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, and, for, and, and for generations it could have gone on. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, again, I mean, that goes back to, it's, it's a lot more than just a, getting a contract, right? It's a lot more than, uh, you know, making sure you get paid on the job. It's about keeping families fed and people employed and, you know, jobs running successfully and really supporting the small guy at the end of the day, or, you know, your employees and your, your subs that you're using, your contractors. I mean, there's just so much that goes into it. That's more than getting a contract done and having to pay for the contract. It's, it's really about protecting what's valuable in your life. Absolutely. And, and then, like, like you said, time away from your family you, to build this thing that deserves to be protected. And I really set it up in a way that, cause like when my husband was first getting started, phone call after phone call, what does this mean? What does this mean? And just to be there that, that support, you need answers and you need them now for a reasonable fee. And that, and so that's what I've created. Yeah. If, if uh, we'll put your information in the show notes and of course they can call you, but what should somebody look for in an attorney? Hopefully we've appealed to somebody driving around and convinced them, wow, I need to start somewhere. You don't just call attorneys or, you know, different flavors and different specialties. You don't call personal injury to do liens and you don't call contract. Well, maybe do contract law, but not a family law attorney. How can they start the search and how can they recognize that they've got a good attorney? Someone that knows your lingo, right? Someone that understands your pain points, the things that, and it, it, it's hard. It's hard to find, especially in the construction industry, that ha an attorney that has, because construction is its own, is its own, you know, job, is its own industry. And knowing anything about it, you have had to, somewhere along the line, you really have had some, to spend some time in it, right? Before you can really understand what to do. And usually construction lawyers, just do construction because, and, and that's all aspects, you know, the liens, the contracts. But if you go to a regular contract attorney to draft your contract for construction, it's not going to work. There's just so many different variables that somebody who has those type of clients would understand, you know, you've been in it and have those type of clients would understand, but interview them and talk to them about your problems and see if they, you, you'll be able to tell if, if they can use the same lingo, if they know what you're talking about. Not maybe specifically you're in your trade, but things like change orders and schedules and how important that is, because that's not usually things that are important in a, in a, in a general contract thing. But most of them have websites now that'll tell you, like you, you can tell the flavor of a lawyer by going there. And really, and honestly, just like stay in your lane, like the trades, an attorney needs to stay in their lane, right? I don't do divorces, I don't do wills. I stay in here what I'm good at, right? Um, and you need to find someone that's, you know, that's in your state that, you know, does that. I can help with a lot of basic things in all 50 states, but when it comes to litigation um, and things like that, but, and, 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 and having them as a partner, just don't call them when you're in trouble, call them before they can help you stay out of trouble. You know, it's, uh, 
it's 1029 central time today. When should they start? Yesterday. I knew. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, seriously. No, no, it's seriously. And, and make an appointment. Right. Exactly. Or like I have a search. free consultation. You want to, you want to go over legal landmines? Call me up. Yeah. We'll go through the checklist for free. That's the same in all 50 states. And then if I can't help you, I can at least point you in the direction to someone who can. There you go. Contact um, but let's, let's have the conversation of where are the holes, where are the pitfalls, you know. Yeah. So if they take a long lunch, we'll give them till two o'clock to get started today. Exactly. That's that's good. Yeah, that's that's not not kidding, man. No, no. Pressure could be building somewhere right now, and you don't you're not aware of it. Exactly. Well, yeah. it is building somewhere right now. Yes, and we're in, and here's the thing: is that there's nothing I can do that can stop you stop someone from suing you. It's just what are your defenses and how fast can you get out of it? These things that you have set up will make that end faster as opposed to if you don't and less yeah. expensive. Yeah. Well, Kayon, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. We will reference not only how to get in contact with you and some of the resources that you've mentioned, but we will reference your podcast, the Quit Getting Screwed podcast in the show notes as well. Uh, so awesome. people should definitely check that out. And um yeah, we will hopefully maybe have you on again sometime. It's been a pleasure talking to you and uh, really appreciate all the insight and the stories that you've shared. I know that it's been inspiring to me and helpful for me to understand some concepts, but I think it's also helpful for our audience. So, um, you know, our mission is to not just help contractors get quit getting screwed, but really to find less stress, more time and more money. And I think exactly what you do helps them in that in that case. So uh, appreciate all the knowledge you shared. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll be in touch. Awesome. I have one other Thank observation you. before we yes, go. Sir. Oh, go ahead, Martin. It appears to me that you like what you do. Oh, I love it. I love <laughs> there it. There you go. I love, I love being the little guy and standing up to just jerks, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's cool. <laughs> that's great. So, All yeah, right. <laughs> well, stay cool down there in Houston, Carolyn. I will. You guys have a great day. Uh, you too. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Cashflow Contractor. Check out our website in the show notes or visit thecashflowcontractor.com.